Welcome back to the Mental Health Commute. This is episode 10 with Dr. Walt Duffy and Matt Duffy, and we are going to continue talking about suicide. I'm not the clinician in the room. I try and rationalize or figure these things out through a lens that probably differs from a, a physician. So we may have a little bit of disagreement here. When I think of suicide, it does get grouped into two groups for me, right? One is the acute decision, came out of nowhere, not a lot of lead up to it, which is probably that 20% that there were no warning signs, so to speak. And the other is the 80% that if there are warning signs, to me that means it's a progression towards the outcome. And when I look at it, I say suicide has to be a breakdown of rational thought because anyone I've ever talked to who I perceive to be rational never says that suicide can be a rational outcome. So then what is occurring in order for someone to think that the irrational is rational? And when I look at warning signs, what I look at is someone confirming the irrational thoughts. If we take a common one, the world's better off without so I'm going to start pushing people away and see if they go away. Because if they do, then in my mind, I'm going to confirm, oh, see, yeah, they're better off if I'm not around. Or I'm going to withdraw and see if anybody reaches out. Because if nobody reaches out, then they must not want me around. So I'm going to do things to confirm my irrational thoughts. What the people are saying they want is different than what they need. How I conceptualize it is if they're giving signs, they're telling someone I need help, but Verbally, they're saying, I don't want you to do anything about it. And are you going to listen to the need or the want? So I, I think it's very important to point out that these things like withdrawing or seeing if people move away, oftentimes that is not a conscious decision that somebody makes. The way they're feeling sort of leads them to that. So when we talked in previous episodes that sometimes when you're feeling very depressed, what you'll do is you'll go on the web and you'll do the sort of the confirmation bias. You will look for other people who are feeling the same way as you to confirm that, yeah, this is the way I'm feeling and the world is not good. So you end up taking actions. Sometimes you don't realize you're taking those actions, but you're taking actions to further confirm this negative way you're feeling. Yeah, it may not be a, a conscious realization in the moment that I'm going to do this to see if, but I think when the outcome comes, it's looking back, well, no one's reached out to me, or I've pushed people away and they went, well, so it's retrospective confirmation, but you weren't necessarily doing it at the time consciously for those reasons. I often talk about a pie. A pie you can slice up into two pieces, four pieces, eight pieces, 16 pieces. And in somebody's life, the more of those pieces you can have of your pie going on in your life, you know, work relationships, school, peer relationships, family, sibling relationships, acquaintances, activities. You know, I've talked about myself going out to the court to play pickleball, different things so that if one or two are not going quite as well, the other ones can sort of continue to fill you up in the meantime. Sort of the younger you are, that one, oftentimes the fewer pieces of the pie you have, or you've put so much effort into a certain piece, whether that's a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, a sport, 
debate team, various things. And if one piece goes awry, you're sort of lost. And not only that, but what adults often don't realize in working and talking with their children and their kids is that they don't have the same viewpoint at that age that we do as we get older. They don't have the experiences to know that you can go through really troubling times and come out on the other end and be okay. Their view of the world often is, oh my gosh, I'm going through this horrible time, and that means my life's over as anybody sees it. This horrible thing has happened, and I will never be able to be successful in life. Or I've been under such a chronic stressor, for example, bullying. What is going to be the next stressor in that line that might seem pretty trivial to everybody, but for me, it's just the final stressor. There are other different factors to take into account. The hard part with suicide as a topic is we can't say when this happens, that's the, the moment that you have to be really concerned. Really difficult to answer some of these questions like warning signs or what do I do about it because you're having to figure out the end of one, right? What is this person's final trigger going to be? And that's different for a lot of people. So it's not something that will ever be given clarity on what you specifically are on the lookout for. Let's talk about a couple things. One is how to get people help for yourself or for other folks. So there are a number of ways and there's steps to go about with this. So the steps are, you know, there's the national hotline, the crisis hotlines, both on a, on a local level and the national level. You know, interesting, especially with the prevalence of social media, that, uh, and we will have this on our website also, a lot of the social media, whether you look at Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, all those, they have algorithms now that start to identify people who might be having problems and how to identify those. So that's a big push going forward by the actual social media organizations to sort of help in that effort. You know, the sad thing in the local communities is that to make somebody, quote-unquote, make somebody get help is, is very difficult and is, is very frustrating to parents, to families, because somebody can be suicidal, but, for example, in our own community, if they show up at the hospital and they say, oh, no, I'm not suicidal, I'm, I'm sort of feeling fine, it is almost impossible for, in our community, for example, the police to do an order of emergency protection where they have to go into a hospital inpatient setting and get help. So they might tell you one thing in the office and tell something else by the time that they get to the emergency room. So it's really being able to connect with that patient, even when they're in the office, develop trust with them, and also your family member. You know, we want to talk about this. Also, if there are the warning signs, we do know that the most number of deaths occur by guns, firearms. So you might have those in your house. If you have somebody with depression, warning signs we've talked about, I'm not going to sit here and say you have to get them out of the house. If somebody has suicidal ideation plan, yes, I'm going to tell you you need to get them out of the house. But those should be locked up in some place that's very safe. You never keep the ammunition and the firearm together. You know, there's no reason for adolescents and those folks to have that immediate access to those if you are really serious about keeping safety, you'll take some very serious precautions. You talked about taking people to the hospital, but the hospital doesn't have to admit them because they change what they say. To me, that's a success. 
And here's why it's a success, because I'll start with the statistics. So the Golden Gate Bridge is a, a place where they study suicide because it's a, a big place for jumpers, right? And they looked at people who were stopped right before they jumped. And it's something like only 7% of people went on to attempt again after being stopped in that moment. There's a difference between how much of someone's life they're suicidal versus how much time they're actually willing and able to commit the act. As long as you can intervene at the acute moment or before the acute moment, then you've removed a lot of the risk, at least in the short term. So when I look at what recommendations are out there for what to do if you're concerned that someone might commit suicide, I boil it all down to you have to do actions. One, words. I think people who are in this mindset have learned words are empty because they're out there telling a lot of people things that aren't true. I'm fine. Sure, you can leave me alone. We'll talk tomorrow. All these things that in the moment are going, yeah, I'm lying to you right now. Words to them don't mean anything at that moment. If I get into the irrational thought process, I can't argue with actions if I'm irrational. If I'm telling you to leave and you won't leave and you're saying I'm not leaving because I care about you and I don't want you to go, if I believe in my mind that people are better off without me around, how am I going to rationalize that with this person who's in front of me saying, no, that's wrong and I'm not, I'm not going anywhere? I agree with you totally on that. It's action, taking some sort of action so that the person, you engage the person, correct? Right. And you might, actually, they might even attempt, you know, that that can happen, that you stay engaged, <laughs> you stay engaged, and that you're still there. Because what we talked about is that person is feeling no way out, alone, and all of a sudden, this is the the thing about having a negative thought and a positive thought in your mind at the same time. It is is very difficult to have that, and it's very disconcerting. So all of a sudden, this is the only way. For some reason, this person just stays here, and they are still connected, and they say there is a way. Well, that creates doubt, and that's what you want to create in somebody who's having that thought, that doubt, positive doubt that there is another way. I'm going to stay connected no matter what. And I'm even I'm really going to be connected not only in the person who has those thoughts, but if I'm maybe working with somebody who they've had a close friend, family member, child commit suicide, I I, I really want to stay connected to that person. So, I think this will be a a good way to end because it gets us to the next level of talking about more maybe on it individual basis unless matt you have some final comments i see those going back to a lot of research that has been done on the golden state jumpers point that i find really interesting in that is people that have survived the jump and they all say the exact same thing the moment my feet left the platform i regretted it their switch from irrational thought of suicide to oh i regret it is less than a second that's the amount of time that we have to be present and be willing to do action to get someone just off that mindset. So there are is a potentially rather than this continual slide where the suicide rate is increasing, maybe there's a way to reverse the trend. And there actually is a national task force and goal by the United States to reverse that. But it's talking maybe more about how is that possible in this current state of our United States. 
Well, we are ready to wrap up this podcast session and stay tuned for the next session where we are going to focus more on the positive things associated with mental health and substance abuse. We just talked about the deep, dark, what I consider the underbelly, the worst outcome, which is suicide. But there are many more positives. Join us next session and we hope to cheer you up a little bit.